on the block on demand. This is on the block with Brent Axe. Tommy, tonight, we watch the first four, the playing game, whatever you call it. That's what we're doing tonight. Trust me, I'd love to put in my brand new version of the best of everything. Pick back and listen to you, buddy. Not tonight. Tonight. It's first four time. Giddy up. My wife loves this time. It's just (sighs) basketball. And she goes upstairs and watches the Lifetime channel. Yeah, pretty much. Next three weeks. See you in April, honey. Hit me with that fancy open. Let's do this thing. We've got a hot one for you. Oh, you're hot. Why, thank you. So are you. And I'm not afraid to cry. So hot. So hot and hot. Yes, Man, it's hot. How hot is it? It's so hot, I poured McDonald's coffee in my lap to cool off. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for hot takes on the block. Your headquarters, first four NCAA tournament, Sweet 16, Elite Eight, Final Four, all the games. You know what it is? It's the Press Room Pub, the number one sports and entertainment venue in central New York. We're broadcasting there Thursday. Seth doing his show 11 to 12. And he's going to hang throughout the day at the Press Room Pub. You should hang at the Press Room Pub. Play hooky. Our promotion was so good, it fooled me earlier in the show, right? I mean, your boss knows you're going to take a long lunch on Thursday. You might as well do it at that press room pub, the place to watch all the games in historic Herald Square in downtown Syracuse. Oh, baby, did Mike Trout cash in. I'm sure most of you saw this today, but in case you did not, take that, Bryce Harper. Mike Trout as Jeff Passan. ESPN Syracuse grad describes here. Cha-ching. That's kind of the binary that we've got going on here. Either they need to win in the next five or six years, or they have the guy who's going to go down as the best player to ever play baseball as a lifetime Los Angeles angel. And, and that, I think, is as much as anything why they were willing to do this deal and pony up as much money as they did because the outcome – it's really pretty good on both ends. Yeah, 12 years, $430 million. I would say that's a pretty good outcome for Trout. We'll see if that's good for the Angels. There are no opt-outs in this contract, by the way. It is the first $400 million contract in sports history, the largest in sports history. It eclipses Harper's. Think how big this number sounded like a week ago. 13 years, $330 million. It beats that Trout's deal by 30%. $36 million per year is the highest annual salary, which, by the way, Zach Granke still has, which is kind of an odd person to have that, $34.4 million per year. Trout had two years remaining on his contract. The new deal runs through the year 2030 when Bobby Benito will still be getting $1 million payments annually from the New York Mets. Passon broke the news of the contract. We played you one clip, uh, one clip from Jeff. Let's hear another on Jeff Passon discussing this huge deal earlier today on ESPN Radio. It's a good contract for both sides. And, and it's absurd to think that when an athlete is being paid more than any other athlete has been paid in history, 
and and by a pretty substantial margin, you can say that it's a good contract for the team, but the the numbers don't lie. The Angels TV contract is $3 billion, and Mike Trout uh, is off to the greatest start of anybody in baseball history. Also here to comment on the new contract is uh, ESPN's Stephen A. Smith. Jeff Passan, having said all of that, we look at other individuals. A Mike Socha, for example, entering his 19th season as the manager for this ball club. Does a contract like Mike Trout apply more pressure to somebody like him to turn things around, or else Marina's going to move in a different direction? Well, Socha is gone, actually. Brad yes, Osmus is the manager. Oh, my God. Uh, I, I, I'm sorry. I totally fan. forgot about that. I can't believe I forgot uh, about that because Mike Socha was one of my favorite right. guys. Listen, no, no, no problem. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of shuffling going on no. during uh, no. the Hey, we all make mistakes from time to time. I certainly make them. Kind of got to know that one. Certain guys not playing for certain teams anymore that you're looking forward to watching tonight. Look, Stephen A's a busy guy. He forgets some things. I have an announcement to make, and it's very important, and I'm going to say this to America right now. And that is? I think. Thank you very much. Always good to hear from our friend Stephen A. Smith, the spirit animal of the Syracuse football team. Yeah, 12 years, $430 million. So the question becomes, will the Angels and Phillies ever meet in a World Series? Think of all the money on the line with two players. $430 million, Trout's contract, $330 million for Harper's contract. Of those two, who wins the first World Series? Who wins the most? But here's what it comes down to again. Trout's the best player in baseball. Harper's the biggest star in baseball. But Trout got paid like both of them today. Absolutely incredible contract. And for those that saying, what does it say about the state of baseball? Is baseball dead? Is baseball dying? Is ba-? No, it's not. You can't pay anybody that kind of money, even in a market like Los Angeles if the sport is in a category of slipping, dying, dead, or otherwise. The money is still there, and that money comes from a lot of places, but it comes from fans still watching and going to baseball games. It's just in a different sense. Wow. And it's, look, is anybody worth that kind of money? No, but I think we all know we crossed that bridge a long time ago. At least the best player in baseball now has the best contract. That's, it's Kind of rare. that I mean, I just gave you the number. Zach Granke was the guy making $34.4 million per year. Zach Granke at one time was a great, great pitcher, but he is not worth that money. At least the best player in baseball, undisputably, inarguably, Trout is the best player in baseball, now is the biggest contract. Let's go to the phone, see what you're saying out there at 437-7644. Rob, the goalie's going to go five-hole on us. Rob, how you doing, bud? Pretty good, Axe, man. I am really happy for the Angels and Mike Trout, more so than anything, so he won't be turning around and coming and setting up camp in Philadelphia with Bryce Harper. That'd be a little Mike much. Was all the rage last it'd, week. It'd be a little much if you got to face those two in, in the same lineup. And what's intriguing to me, Rob, about both of those deals is they both said no trade deals, no opt-outs. I am in. I am firmly committed to these places. For Harper, it was a new place, right. so it was a little more startling than that. For Trout... Yeah, I, hey, God bless him. He loves it there. He wants to stay there. Certainly would have opportunities to go to Philly or anywhere he wanted. But he, uh, being a Philly boy, a Jersey kid, wants to stay in Los yeah. Angeles. And I don't blame him for that. You know what's funny with the Angels? It's like 
you know, there's the Mets and the Yankees in New York, but no one really ever counts the Angels as like a big market team. They're like the smallest big market team because it's all Dodgers, 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 even though I think the Angels won the more recent World Series. For the city of Los Angeles. That's correct. And if you want to counter that, you you have the best player in baseball on your roster. But you just brought up an intriguing point, Rob, and thanks for the call, my friend. Is there a quieter superstar, not only in baseball, but all the sports, than Mike Trout? It's debatable. Let's go to John in Liverpool next to 437-7644, switching gears back to college hoops. What's up, Johnny? How you doing, kid? Living the dream, my friend. Well, I'm rooting for Colgate's. And uh, I've been to Colgate many times, love their golf course. But I want to mention on the uh, Donald Foyle thing, uh, you can talk about how he wound up at Cornell, Colgate rather, for a long time, But so I won't go into that. Uh, long story short, he was advised to go there. Um, but basically that decision took him out of ever winning a national championship at the college level when he lived, when he was going to be right in the shadow of a national program right down the road. Yeah, and uh, I vaguely remember, John, I'd have to look it up, but weren't his adoptive parents professors at Colgate? There was a a really strong family connection there that led him to Colgate, and I think he liked the school and the family atmosphere. There's there's a little bit more to it. I don't think he wanted to play at a a big-time college basketball program, if you will, and that's no offense to Colgate, but, I mean, he brought them there, and this is their first tournament there since – so I think there's a little more layers to it, but you know, it, it is a big what if. Had he gone to Syracuse or Duke or one of these big time programs, I mean, he could have been Zion Williamson in, in, in that time and probably would have a title or two. Exactly. His his advisors were faculty members at that school, and they advised him that to to go to Colgate. And you know, if he had come here, I he certainly would have taking us to a Final Four, and maybe we would have had a second championship by now, but uh, he certainly was good enough to take you to a Final Four. And you know what? Uh, I'll say this about a Donald Foyle, too. It's all kind of flooding back in my head here. Right? We should catch up with a Donald in the next day or two before we uh, exit stage left for tournament coverage. Uh, he was a true student-athlete, really smart guy, certainly went to the NBA, made a ton of money in the NBA, but he cared about his, and again, that's no offense to Syracuse or any schools he said no to, but... He was a true student-athlete, and they're going to run all these student-athlete commercials over the next uh, couple of weeks during the tournament. Donald Foyle was a true student-athlete. And again, I have to go back to it quickly. I'll never forget watching him play for Hamilton the game before my Bishop Ludd and Gaelic Knights won the state title in 94. <laughs> Just, I've never seen a more man-amongst-boys situation in sports than that. Four guys, just every possession, passing to a Donald Foyle. It was, it was something to see. It was absolutely something to see. Speaking of our friend Stephen Bailey, who we had on earlier, he had a pretty cool interview with the Donald Foyle, which is up on Syracuse.com as well, so you should check that out. Let's break on that note. I've got some cool prop bets and odds we're going to get into next hour on the NCAA tournament, certainly more on Syracuse and Baylor. We'll go on the blind side coming up. You're on the block. Don't go anywhere. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Confession. Been listening to a lot of Huey Lewis in the news lately. Just digging it, man. I think Jacob's Ladder is my favorite Huey song. There's a hot take for you right there. 
You don't want my Huey Lewis takes. You want to talk some hoops. Don't forget, we are your exclusive radio home for the 2019 NCAA tournament. That means we will not be here Thursday or Friday doing this show, but we've got uh, today and tomorrow with you. On tomorrow's show, uh, Syracuse Athletic Director John Wildhack. Uh, we're going to have uh, Isis Young on the program from the Syracuse women's basketball team. Not only a terrific player, but an aspiring broadcaster. And I'm telling you right now, know that name. because She is going to be on your television screen sooner rather than later doing all kinds of great things. So she's going to break down Syracuse and Fordham for us, talk some hoops. Uh, Isis is just a, a great kid, great player, and uh, we're looking forward to having her on the show tomorrow. I say, hey, kid, I'm, I'm at that age where I, I look at college kids now and I say, hey, kid, that's what happens. That's what happens. Gray hair, noticed more of it this morning. Them kids over up there at the hill playing them hoops. Yeah, I'm that guy now. I'm that old guy. Yep. But uh, ISIS will be with us tomorrow, John Wildhack tomorrow, and we have a yet-to-be-determined Baylor guest working on a couple things for you there uh, going into the NCAA tournament, which, again, we have coverage for you right here Thursday and Friday. Seth is going to be broadcasting live from the Press Room Pub on Thursday, and he's just going to hang, watch games all day. We'll have some prizes, some fun things going on. I'm going to stop by at some point on Thursday, hang, watch the game. So you should come and hang with us at the Press Room Pub on Thursday. Thursday or anytime to watch the game, certainly with the big dance on the way. And I brought it up last hour. Just want to dig in a little bit more on Syracuse and Baylor. And it's funny, our guy, Jim CBW in the uh, fashion of old takes exposed went up and uh, dug my preseason predictions up because I brought up the question last hour. And the, and the, and the question is knowing the bracket now, Knowing the matchups, because that's always the caveat, right? Well, not knowing the bracket and the matchups, here's where I feel Syracuse should finish. I think most people would be good with beat Baylor, lose to Gonzaga. You lose to Gonzaga, number one seed, a team that's in the short breath that I think can, I think they can go all the way. I mean, beating Duke on that side of the bracket, should they meet in the Final Four? I would love to see that game, because I think Gonzaga can beat Duke. The thing with Duke is, if there's a team that can overcome it, it's them, given the amount of players that can hit shots inside the three-point line. Zion and R.J. Barrett and Trey Jones isn't a great shooter but a great defender but can get inside and score. Cam Reddish can step back and hit threes, but, I mean, they have three of the top 14, 15 picks in the upcoming NBA draft. But you got to hit some threes in the tournament, right? At some point, you got to hit some shots. They do have Alex O'Connell. Jack White, we know, has just really struggled, has not been the shooter they need him to be, but... When you have that Zion Williamson guy who's just going to drop 30 points just by showing up, it overcomes your inability to hit shots. So I think Duke breaks a lot of rules there about having to hit threes and having to hit shots from the outside at some point in the tournament to win. I'd love to see Duke play Gonzaga, but we've seen Gonzaga fall being a high seed and falling short of expectations. But to do it against a team in Syracuse, they certainly can beat in Salt Lake That's not a pick I'm going to make. And the regional's in Anaheim. So they get to that regional, and who knows who's going to be there. Nevada, Florida, Michigan. I think Buffalo could make a run and get out there. But if they make it all the way through and get to the Final Four and play Duke, man, would I love to see that game. Whatever it is, take the over in that one. But are you good with that? This has been kind of an interesting season. You know, do the Goldilocks test. Is Syracuse too hot, 
too cold or just right. They're kind, You could argue they're a little too cold, but as Jim dug up, here's what I said in the preseason. This is why I hate that Jason Murray makes me do this stuff. Love you, Jason. You're my guy. Here's what I said preseason. Brent's postseason finish. Sweet 16. Quote, I think the Orange has the depth and talent to make a deep run in the NCAA tournament, but will get tripped up in the postseason like last year when it runs into a better team like Duke in the Sweet 16. Now, the way the bracket broke, the better team is not in the Sweet 16. It's in the next round. I thought Syracuse was going to be a higher seed and wouldn't see a team like Gonzaga until the Sweet 16. Last year was a very unique run. It started in the first four. They built up, played three games in six days, took a little bit of a breath. But look, beat Arizona State, TCU, Michigan State last year. For all the Tom Izzo and the tournament, lock it down. I don't know what John Rothstein's uh, bad tweet about that usually is. Death, taxes, Tom Izzo, something like that, right? Izzo lost to Syracuse last year. Michigan State as a two-seed member. There's always a Syracuse connection here. Lost in that bracket, clearing the path for Syracuse to beat Middle Tennessee State and build on that and go to a Final Four. So Michigan State's kind of due for a deep run here. But as an eight seed, losing to a one, and some would say, well, it depends on the one. You'd almost rather play Duke or North Carolina. Virginia kind of smoked Syracuse, but we know that was just an unprecedented three-point event. I think Syracuse could beat Virginia. They got him again. We all saw what happened a couple years ago. This team doesn't have a Malachi Richardson that could go off, but get Syracuse on the floor again with Duke. Ah, yes, there it is. January, February, Izzo, April, May. Yes, thank you, John Rothstein, for your very creative tweets this time of the year. So are you good with that? Now, what if Syracuse loses to Baylor? I got a feeling I'm going to get some of the Dementor tweets and comments should they lose to Baylor. When this is an 8-9 matchup, this which are always 50-50 games, a 9 beating an 8 is not an upset. Percentage-wise, matchup-wise, it's not an upset. It's usually the closest matched-up teams in the tournament, not always. Some 7s get misseeded, even some 6-11 games get misseeded. But 8-9, you're pretty much the same team. Baylor had, like Syracuse, now Mason didn't go out for Baylor. He just had to play through injury where Tyus Battle was out for two games. But when he struggled, so did Baylor. So for all the talk of his Tyus Battle healthy, I'm wondering about Mason. How healthy is he? Is he back to form? They've got th- uh, four players that are above 35% from three-point range. We know they can do that. They are a good offensive rebounding team, and not just because they miss shots. They're actually a good rebounding team, and that is spelled trouble for Syracuse. If you're a good offensive rebounding team because of your approach to rebounding, how good you rebound as opposed to some teams they played that were good offensive rebounders because they miss a ton of shots. Clemson, at least on paper, has the tools to make this a competitive game. They know the zone. They don't play it, you know, of the defenses they play. It's the 1-3-1 I think you got to worry about the most, and Syracuse has played the 1-3-1. I saw it against Georgia Tech earlier this year. That didn't go so well, but they have had some success with it and played well, not winning all these games, but seeing John Beeline play it at Michigan and other teams that come across. The key with the 1-3-1 one, one is you got to hit from the wings. At Syracuse's Buddy Beheim, they have Elijah Hughes. Tyus can hit that wing shot. So can Frank. 
So I think they can get over that. I'm wondering how much Baylor's going to emphasize Marek Doljai. I think he can have a big game if left alone. And, you know, that's the thing with matchups this time of year. How well does Baylor know Syracuse? I guarantee you, and I think Bayheim in his press conference the other night kind of said, I've seen Baylor a few times. The thing with Bayheim is he watches so much basketball and has such a photographic memory with these things, he has some sense of how to approach Baylor. I don't think Scott Drew has the same opinion of Syracuse. He's playing a lot of catch-up. So where's the X factor there that they won't prioritize in matching up this game? I think it's Dolja. I think they'll notice him on film. they say, wow, look at this guy. He's scrappy, good defensively. But the talent of, of battle, Howard's play well recently. You know Hughes can shoot. Look at the, the coach's son can, can shoot the three. They have played the zone and know the zone, but you still have to de- dedicate practice time to get your team in as much of a rhythm going up against it as you can. Who falls through the cracks? That's my question, and I think that could be Doljai, who had a big tournament last year, don't forget. Had some big scoring games. Can hit that you know, 13, 14-foot jump shot. So Hughes is the natural X factor. He's the extra three-point shooter. He's one of two players along with Bayheim that were not on this run last year. And I think about last year, and I think of how we were still exhaling two days later after Selection Sunday, saying they are in the tournament. And then he had to like snap to it. Because, oh, they're playing. They're in the first four game. And they snuck by Arizona State. And then they snuck by TCU. And then they snuck by Michigan State. And then only lost to Duke by four in the next round. This team doesn't have that kind of identity. They're not as locked down on defense as that team was. It's a different team, even though it's the same team, right? Every team takes on a different identity, a different sense. So thank you to our friend Jim CBW for digging up my preseason expectation that I wrote in, I think, early November we put that out. Syracuse was one of the most experienced teams coming in. They certainly had the look on paper of a team that could make a deep run. We were excited about what Hughes could bring to the table. We were speculating on what Bayheim could be, and Bayheim is exactly the player we thought he would be. Come in, establish that offensive game, improve as the season went along, showing some of the other aspects. He's 11 of 27 from three-point range, Bayheim in his last four games. So this is a Syracuse team. They lose to Baylor Thursday, wouldn't stun me. They go to the Sweet 16, wouldn't stun me. They beat Gonzaga, that actually would surprise me. It's the tournament, anything can happen, I get the cliches, but I just don't think Syracuse matches up with this Gonzaga team that well. But what gives you hope there is we've seen a little bit of everything from this Syracuse team. Can they get in a grinded-out, high 50s, low 60s type of game? Yep. Can they get in a back-and-forth scoring match with somebody and at least make it a game? Yep. They lost to Carolina, but they did do that. They did it against Duke in the first matchup that went to overtime. The big stat is 17-3. They're 17-3 when they hit at least 10 three-pointers. So Duke and a few other teams may not have to hit threes game by game to advance. Syracuse does, including against Baylor. If this is a team that comes out and has one of those 5 of 22 type nights from three-point range, well, you better hope O'Shea Brissett or Pascal Chukwu went off. There's another guy that I slipped through the cracks is not the right way to put it because he's seven foot two. but I'm not sure Baylor has what it takes to really lock down and guard him. They're not a very big team. 
Pascal could have a big game. Marek could have a big game. I do expect Syracuse to win this game. Beating Gonzaga, even on the short turnaround, look, Mark Few and Bayheim are friends. They've played a few times in recent years, and I know those teams are different. But playing Syracuse in the tournament facing that zone, which Mark Few has done twice now, you bank that knowledge and you apply it to and you just figure out, even on a short turnaround, okay, how do these pieces in the puzzle work? But I know the puzzle. Lose to Baylor, how does that make you feel? Beat Baylor, lose to Gonzaga, how does that make you feel? Make a Sweet 16 run, that question answers itself. You're playing with house money at that point. So we can continue to talk Syracuse-Baylor. I want to get into some prop bets and some odds and some of the things for entertainment purposes only surrounding the tournament as you fill out your bracket. Are you in a bracket that you got to get it in today for the playing games? I'm not a fan. I'm not digging that. I'm not digging that. I need time. I, I got like to absorb everything and then hand it in at the last minute on Thursday. That's just me. That's the beauty of this time of the year. Everybody's got a different strategy, right? Hey, the sun's shining. It's only 40 degrees, but that's okay. Sun's shining in central New York. It's bracket time. Beautiful time of the year to talk some hoops with us at 437-7644. The text line is 288-0644 if you want to get on board that way. We'll do some odds and some for entertainment purposes only things for the brackets coming up. We'll go on the blind side. Certainly more on Syracuse and Baylor. On the Block is presented by the Food Bank of Central New York, and we're back after this. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Hey there, welcome back on the Block. Presented by Mattress Express, home of the number bed by Instant Comfort. A couple of things here before we get to the blind side coming up in about 10 minutes. In the for what it's worth category, latest NBA mock draft drop today from Jonathan Gavoni, ESPN. This is the guy that puts in the work. He goes to the tournaments, he travels, he's in constant contact with league people, GM, scouts. Uh, last I checked in with the scout who knows, this was a couple weeks ago he said that uh, Tyus Battle, who is the most likely Syracuse player, obviously, to be picked, you know, short of a very surprising announcement of somebody entering the draft that we don't expect to, like, say, an O'Shaper set, who I fully anticipate will be back next year for Syracuse, but there's always that surprise name. So Just kind of keep that on the back burner. I'm not insinuating anything. I'm just saying it's happened in the past. Battle was not on the list, was not in the latest mock draft. Two-round draft, 60 picks, not there. The scout who knows said the same thing to me a couple weeks ago. His team doesn't have battle on the board, and he thinks it's going to be a real fight for him to work his way into the top, or pardon me, the, the bottom five picks of the draft. Even So I got some interesting Twitter responses to this when I put it out earlier today, and people said that, well, if he has a great tournament, he'll get back in. You might not be wrong about that, but here's the difference. And a couple people made the Malachi Richardson reference. Here's the big difference. Malachi Richardson was a freshman who was on a lot of NBA scout radars that year, but surged due to what he did in the tournament. The Virginia game made them pay more attention to him. He got all the individual workouts, and his stock soared based on what they saw in those workouts. They circled back, paid more attention to him, and sometimes when you're kind of that flash comet kind of rising on draft boards, teams get that sense like, well, we better pick this kid now. The buzz was there. It was the right time, right position, 
There was a real surge then of drafting guys that could shoot the three because of what the Golden State Warriors were starting to build a few years ago. Remember, this is 2016. Right place, right time, right player. Tyus Battle's been thoroughly scouted, poked, prodded, and thoroughly analyzed the past three years. He could lead Syracuse to a Final Four, and it doesn't change his draft status one way or the other because they just know the kind of player he is. They have the same questions and answers about Tyus at the next level. A run in the NCAA tournament is not going to change any opinion. Can he still get drafted? Absolutely. He'll go through the workouts again, but... I'm not saying this is right. I'm just saying this is the reality of it. When they kind of been there and done that with a prospect, I don't really know what there is much more ties battle can do. It's like, okay, yeah, we know you. We know your strengths and weaknesses, what you think will translate to the next level and what won't. What he does in the tournament, in my opinion, this could change. I mean, you got to leave a little bit of a window open here. But in my opinion, it changes nothing. So I just wanted to note that it's kind of interesting how the tournament can change the stock value of certain players, but... They're mostly younger players, up-and-coming prospects that you're not quite sure about. Tyus Battle, they've done their evaluation on. They're still keeping an eye on him. How is he progressing? Has he developed some things that we need him to do at the next level? But he is a get-drafted-in-the-second-round, probably G-League-level player at this point. I don't think he's sitting on a full-time NBA roster next year. So it's a case of did coming back hurt him? Yes, it did. Because he was a firm somewhere in the 40s pick last year. Now he's off the board. On prominent mock drafts, teams that I've talked to, and everywhere you look. And believe me, I get no pleasure in saying this. It's just kind of where it's at heading into the tournament. I saw that today, and it can change. The draft's not till June, but it's harder for Tyus to change a narrative because he's been around so long, and people kind of know what he is, and people bring up the question, and I got the tweets today, and, and I appreciate the questions. Are you still? Because I put this out there on Twitter at the risk of old takes exposed, shoving this in my face. I said he is 100% gone, in my opinion. Because some people said, oh, he's got to come back. He's got to come back then. Tyus is not coming back, in my, I will say, informed opinion. In the sense of he's getting his degree, coming back does nothing to help your stock when you're at his level and you're his type of player. Nothing. If anything, it will benefit him more to get out now, even if he doesn't get drafted, sign a pro contract somewhere and work full-time on your game when it makes sense to. He's a little bit of an older player. He's got his degree on track even as a junior. So coming back to me would be a big, big mistake. Especially after, think about this, the guy fell, bruised his hip, at the end of the regular season, you don't think he's going to have that on his mind, thinking about coming back for another year, especially with the degree in hand, a true student athlete. Like all those commercials we're going to see over the next couple of weeks with the NCAA tournament, the student athletes, Tyus actually is a true student athlete. The other thing I wanted to do quickly here is um, we go through the week and you're filling out your brackets, looking for some ways for entertainment purposes only to cash in. Here are just a few things that I found odds, ends, trats, thanks to uh, Super Intern Kier for finding some of these great trends as well. So I'm going to throw these out there for you. This is from Vegas Insider. As you would expect, Duke's got the best odds to win it all at 9-4. to four. If you're feeling really funky and want to put something down on North Carolina Central, 
who has the worst odds at 9,999 to 1, you go right ahead. Syracuse, right now, I've seen them at 66 to 1. Vegas Insider has them 85 to 1 of winning the whole thing. Their odds of winning the West region sit at 35 to 1 in their first round matchup Thursday against Baylor. Syracuse is a two point favorite at this point. I love this prop bet, courtesy of my bookie. Total buzzer beating shots during the round of 64. You know what actually has the best odds? Zero. No buzzer beaters at the money line is minus 160. Six or more. You're at plus 5,000. If you bet one buzzer beater, that's at plus 225. Two buzzer beaters, plus 700. Three, plus 1,200. Four is at plus 2,000. If you think five buzzer beaters, that's plus 4,000. The highest point total by one team during the round of 64, the over-under is 97.5. The over is listed at minus 140. The under is at plus 100. The most points by a single player in the round of 64, the over-under is 32.5. Tell me John Morant can't go for more than 32.5. I think I might take that one. A 16 seed. Getting past the round of 64, happened last year. Yes is at a money line of plus 1,200. No comes in at minus 2,500. The ACC, favored to win. The money line there is minus 130. If you go for the field, the ACC or the field, the field is coming in at plus 100. The Pac-12, oh, man, you really got to have some faith in Mike Hopkins, Washington Huskies. The money line for a Pac-12 team to win it all is plus 16,000. Ba-boom. They didn't even list a money line for the field on that one. But if you're feeling good about the Pac-12, plus 16,000. I might just go put 20 bucks down on that. Hope Mike Hopkins in Washington make an unprecedented run. Let's break on that now. We'll go on the blind side coming up. We're on Syracuse and Baylor to wrap up the show. You're on the block ESPN Radio. Hang in there.